The Truth News Network. Remember when Al Gore told us he took illegal campaign contributions from China and admitted he knew they were illegal, but that there was no enforcing authority, so he did it anyway? When the law is ignored because there is no force to stand in the way, you're not living in a republic. You're living in exactly the same country the fathers of this country escaped from. It's time to push back. And that starts with the truth. TNN. The Truth News Network and Dan Newman. Got to be honest with you. I I have a lot of thoughts and have for many years about uh, Al Gore. Never knew that he cheated on taking those illegal contributions. I guess Pete Moss is digging in and enjoying uh, the content of what we do here at TNN Live and how we do it, and he's digging for himself. That's okay. Everybody needs to find facts. First of all, let me tell you this. Well, really, first of all, welcome to TNN Live. I'm so glad to have you with us. We never uh, we never take you for granted. It, this wouldn't exist if it wasn't for you folks out there, the ones that have signed up, signed on. Um, and for those of you who might be new and don't know this, we don't monetize anything here. It doesn't cost you anything to subscribe. And all subscribing means is anytime and every time a story is published at truthnewsnet.org, you'll get overnight if you subscribe at the bottom right side of page one on the website. You'll see an enrolling thing there, a subscription form. All it involves is your first and last name and your email address. We don't use your email address. We never send out any mass mailings. We never sell our... uh, subscription list to anybody. Nobody has access to it but us. And the only reason we use it is to, when those new stories come out overnight, 1.45 a.m., a email will come to your email and it will include a link to that story that's coming out right then. That means you don't have to go through the website looking for new stories every day. You'll already have them in front of you. Just click on it and read the story. That's all it's about. Um, someone asked me the other day, are you ever going to monetize Truth News Network, TNN Live, and try to make some money with it? Look, I'm in the third, maybe even the fourth segment of my life. Um, I won't even go through the history, professional history there. But that's not what this is about. This is not about making money. This is about helping people get facts with which they can make good choices for themselves and their families, period. That's the beginning and the end of it. I will tell you this. I was shocked yesterday. In fact, let me see if I can find the email I got. I got an email from a company that does nothing but analyze podcast traffic. I didn't even know such a company existed. Now, what does that mean, podcast traffic? What it means, folks, is, for instance, all of our shows are picked up shortly after the show were over by Spotify, and they have a section in Spotify for podcast and TNN Live. They reached out to me weeks and weeks ago and said, we want to include your podcast. So they grab them and they post them. You can go to Spotify. And in the search bar up at the top, you in, you input TNN Live, and an index of all of our shows will come up there. Same thing happens with Apple. Uh, here it is. This company 
they analyze that. And so I got an email from Carlos with podstatus.com. Hello, how's it going, he said. Hope all is well. I have some cool information that should interest you. Your podcast, TNN Live, has really good performance in Apple Podcast. Ranking in the world last month, in the category politics, TNN Live was ranked number 75. How about that? So all I can say is thank you. And uh, that's confirmation to us that the work we're doing here is worth something and that there are people, not just those of you out there that are, I guess everybody that wants to listen is listening right now. Come on, Dan, think it through. Sorry about that. I want to thank every one of you for listening to the show and spreading the word around. And of course, yesterday, you probably won't be surprised, the show was our biggest yet. Um, Dr. Peter McCullough and uh, our story that was published yesterday was the biggest ever in readership. And I guess what that means, folks, is more and more people are finding that there are ways to get truth without getting a bunch of uh, opinion that is labeled as truth. People are hungry, and I'm told that every day. Uh, let me give an example when, uh, when we look at our statistics, we, we have some statistics on who reads our stories and how long they stay online when they're reading our story, how many different pages they look at. I had a comment. and In fact, if you want to go back and look at it, it's from September 19th, a story that was published September 19th of 2019. I got a comment email overnight on that story and we have to approve any comments before they're they're published for obvious reasons. And uh, so I get them all, and I take a look at them before I approve them. Think about that. This guy's reading stories from 2019. That's incredible. But what it tells you, people are hungry for facts, so hungry that when they find a place, and maybe they see a bit of news here that they they trust and believe because it's... it's uh, It's sourced. There's information and data that's included that is sourced, and they can trust the facts rather than just hearing political hackery, political thuggery, full of not facts but full of opinion. They think, you know what? Maybe I ought to go back and look at some of the previous stuff. So here's what I brought that little comment string up to to tell you. I watched yesterday and looked at the stats of not just how many people came to truthnewsnet.org, how many people looked in, how many of them were subscribers, and how many of them are first-time viewers. It's incredible how many people are first-timers, but what's even more incredible is how many people come back and come back and come back. But again, probably the thing that shocked me the most is the average time a reader spends when they log on to truthnewsnet.org and start reading. The average time is 35 minutes. At least it was yesterday. That's significant, folks, and that's an investment of your time, and I want to say thank you. Thank you, because what you're doing by coming back, sticking around, you're confirming the fact that what I've believed for a long time is actually true. People are hungry, and people are looking for real, solid 
facts. So what did you think about Dr. McCullough yesterday? Can you believe the mess that he's going through? He didn't do anything wrong. He's done absolutely nothing wrong. Now let me tell you, the and, and I didn't say this yesterday. I probably should have brought it up while he was on the show with us. But I thought it through. I'm going to tell you something you may not know. And you know, if you've been around this show and around our website for very long, you know that for 30 years I was in healthcare. Owned a company that was a medical reimbursement management company. Now, what that means is we would contract with healthcare providers at every level, from hospitals on down, mom and pop doctor stores, uh, physical therapy clinics medical infusion, top to bottom. And what we did was we went to war for our clients against insurance companies that include Medicare and Medicaid just to make sure that our clients are paid timely and appropriately. And so we would prepare bills. Now, all of this is done online. For instance, if we contract with a hospital on the West Coast, um, we create bills in our system, but here's how it works. They, just like always, they input into their computer system out there all of what they do anytime you go register, you go into the hospital, they keep what services are offered to you and that you get while you're there. They keep it in your file online. We have access to those computer systems from which we take the medical information. We have a fleet of certified coders for every kind of medical procedure there is out there. We code the bills. We submit them to the appropriate payer, payer like Blue Cross or Medicare, Medicaid, commercial, government, all kinds of different payers. And we follow that bill, each bill, and make sure, first of all, those payers get the bill appropriate, and it's all electronic, and uh, then that they process it appropriately When they pay the clients, it goes directly to the client, and the client notifies us, here's the list of payments we received today. So we log back into their system, we post the payments, and if there's a secondary payer, we'll rebill it to the secondary payer, insurance company. And if there's a patient balance, we send that patient balance bill to the patient and make sure that they pay their bill. We get paid on our results. We don't get paid flat fees. That's a little bit different model. Actually, it's not a little different model. It's very significantly different. But in the middle of all of that, we have learned so much about the healthcare industry from top to bottom. And I gave you that little background to tell you this. It doesn't matter. Let me talk about Medicare. Medicare is pretty much, regarding patients, the biggest Um, insurance entity in North America, Medicare. Medicare, there's no building in Washington, D.C. that's branded, has a sign on the roof that says Medicare. There is no such thing. What happens is Congress contracts with private health care companies, insurance companies around the world. And these private insurance companies or contracted to the federal government to process Medicare and Medicaid claims. So the government pays the money to these insurance companies, but the insurance companies, 
They make all the decisions about how to build coding, what it's going to look like, processing, and dealing directly with patients and also with healthcare professionals. And so we all think, well, the government's doing this, the government's doing that. It's not the government doing that. So if you own your Medicare card, and it's the same thing on your insurance company, if you have a private insurance company. And by the way, I'll give you an example. In Florida, the state of Florida, you know who the insurance company is that processes all of Medicare claims in Florida? Blue Cross. Bet you didn't know that. Um, Different insurance companies for different states primarily. We deal with them all. On your Medicare card, if you need to call Medicare, there's a toll-free number. You call them, they answer the phone. Medicare, if you get them on the phone, you're not speaking to Medicare, folks. You're speaking to that insurance company that represents Medicare. They tell you they're Medicare, but they're not. And so if you have a real problem, if, if they processed a bill for services you received and it's incorrect and you called the gripe and maybe they charged too much, maybe they didn't pay enough, and you've got to find some way somehow to appeal what they did. There's an appeal process. And in the Medicare site, the websites, you find all of this detailed, how you do it, who you talk to. Do you know what we do and one reason our company is so different is we fight all of the insurance companies, including Medicare and and Medicaid processing companies, to make sure our clients are paid by law by the agreements they have, the contracts they have with the payers, and that they're paid on time. And if that doesn't happen, there's a process to go through. Now, nobody advertises this. So what we do for our clients is we guarantee them if they provided the service, if it was handled appropriately, medical records were kept appropriately, we're going to make sure they get paid. It doesn't matter how many levels of appeals on denials or paying incorrectly that we have to go through. We do it as part of our expense, part of what we do here. Do you know that I told you when you call that number on the Medicare card, you get somebody that says Medicare? There are four levels above that person, but they're all within the insurance company. You have to go through four levels of people appealing or getting someone in higher authority to talk with you about a missed payment or they got this wrong or they denied this and shouldn't have. Four different layers before you actually get somebody in Medicare. And they're still not Medicare. There's a department that was created called CMS. It's a government agency. CMS stands for Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services. And there are a big group of bureaucrats, and they're the ones that have the final say-so all on this. But like I said, you got to go through four levels to get to them. Now, for most commercial insurance companies, but for every Medicare and Medicaid claim and process, and when I say process, I'm talking about whether you get... Uh, Uh, you have an appendectomy, you have a broken femur, whatever that is, there is a code, an ICD-10 code, that our certified coders know for this particular procedure, we bill it out using the code. For every code, every 
operation, every treatment, there's a specific code that identifies that exact process, and it's on the bill. They're going to pay, the amount they're going to pay for this, your commercial insurance company, and also Medicare and Medicaid, and they, they're vastly different. Commercial insurance companies, as a rule, will pay a little bit higher than Medicare and Medicaid. But whatever the published fee schedule is for all those codes, Medicare is going to pay an exact amount. It doesn't matter what the bill says. I'll, I'll give you an example. You can, you can have a, um, a quadruple bypass. Some places in the United States, you'll get a bill for $150,000. And I'm just using a number. I'm throwing it out there. I have no idea. I haven't looked at a fee schedule in a while. But Medicare may say, okay, instead of $150,000, we are only going to pay $30,000. Now, sometimes there's amounts left over and they're going to be paid by your secondary insurance company or in some cases, if you don't have one, you have to pay the difference. But Medicare is going to only pay a fixed amount from that fee schedule. So why are we talking about this, Dan? Here's what I'm telling you regarding where we started in this conversation. In healthcare, money drives the boat. Pretty much in every business, money drives the boat. And so right now, what do we have going on in healthcare across the nation? COVID-19 and a pandemic. So, you have heard over and over and over and over again, hospitals are loaded up with COVID patients. Patient beds, numbers or availability plummeting. We don't know where we're going to put patients. And then there's money. What they don't tell you is that huge percentages in the nation, across the nation, of those frontline healthcare workers like nurses, PAs, they're leaving the business because they refuse to be vaccinated. So what does that mean? Every state has requirements for every healthcare facility. If you're going to have um, inpatient, those are people that come into the hospital and they check in. That's called inpatient. If you have inpatient in percentages, the allowable number is based upon your bed availability. And so right now, we're looking at a lot of hospitals. I'll give you an example. A 400-bed hospital, that means 400 rooms. They can, they can have 400 people in the hospital at one time max. And that's split up, you know, by the different divisions. You can have ICU, you can have labor and delivery, those kind of things. But that's a total number. But to open up all of those beds, there's a percentage that requires registered nurses on duty. And that's obviously to make sure patient care doesn't slip, doesn't get bad because there's not enough staffing. So when the CDC, when the Fauci gang, when they do a Fauciism and say, hospitals are flooded, I mean, there's no place to put a, a patient, they're lining them up in the aisle. What they're saying, but they're not saying, they're referencing the fact that they may be down 
30, 40, sometimes 50% in staffing. So they can't take any patients above the numbers that the law says in each state that they can have as inpatients at one time. They don't tell you that. So what's the other big debacle going on right now? You're not gonna you're not gonna believe this. I'm not gonna give you an exact number now. I've actually made a phone call this morning to get some Medicare allowable numbers for a couple of procedures that we're hearing a lot about. As I told you, Medicare pays on a fee schedule a number, and it's published. Everybody knows it. Every hospital has it by code, by procedure code, has it built into their computer system. If they bill, like I said, $150,000 for a quadruple bypass, the allowable amount may be only $30,000. They may bill it out at $150,000, but they're only going to get paid $30,000. You follow me? So what happened when this thing we're in was officially deemed to be a pandemic? Members of Congress put the heat on CMS. Remember, that's the agency in the federal government that writes all the rules and regulations for everything in healthcare. CMS, Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services. They're the ones that determine and publish the Medicare allowable. In other words, how much they're going to pay. So for COVID, what they did was they increased the allowable, the basic fundamental inpatient, initial allowable amount paid for Medicare patients. They increased it. If you go into a hospital, now now this is going to explain a lot to you. It's taking a while to get there. But let me get you there, and this is going to blow your mind if if you're not a person that understands healthcare and the way it functions. Right now, anybody that comes into a hospital and the official cause, what you're there for, what you're being treated for is COVID-19, the hospital on the Medicare fee schedule is automatically the allowable amount going to be increased by $15,000. Okay? If that hospital ends up having to move a COVID patient to intensive care, the payment for Medicare per day automatically increases $15,000 a day. But they're not done. If that patient has to be put on a ventilator, the payment for Medicare goes up $10,000 more per day. Think about that. Think about that. We're going to give you a a report in just a few minutes about fiddling with numbers. Fiddling with numbers. You've heard us on Truth News Network. We've published it. We've also brought it on TNN Live about people at death. Maybe they went to, i give you one that we actually reported on, had a doctor who quit 
Mount Sinai in New York, after he was confronted with this, a man from New York was brought to the emergency room with a broken leg. He had problems. He had issues after they set his leg. Um, he, he crashed in the ER, high blood pressure, etc., had a stroke. They moved him upstairs and admitted him. He was never tested for COVID-19. He died in the hospital. His official cause of death, COVID-19. Why do you think they did that? I just told you why they did that. Why do you think? Let's circle all the way back. Call me Jen Psaki today. Circle back. We're going to circle back to the very beginning of this whole thing. We were talking yesterday to Dr. Peter McCullough. What happened to him? He started over a year ago, very publicly, very famous, has a big pulpit when it comes to healthcare information around the world. He had been in immunological and virology stuff for a number of years on top of his number one uh, official capacity in cardiovascular medicine. And he and a whole lot of other hundreds and thousands of other doctors around the world, they didn't like this rush to get these vaccines out. Folks, vaccines don't fix a disease that somebody already has. Did anybody ever talk to you about that? Did you ever hear anybody say that? Oh, you're not going to get COVID-19. That's all we heard. Take the vaccine. We're going to get them out. Hold your breath. Pray. Stay total distance. Stay away from everybody so you don't get it. We'll keep you safe. If you don't get it now, then we're going to give you a vaccine as soon as they're available. But if you've already got COVID-19, before you get a vaccine, one of two things happens. You either stay sick for a long, long time. I mean, really sick because COVID is real when it comes to hurting people as a virus. It does. Or you're going to die. One of the two. But the way they, from the beginning, portrayed this vaccine thing, that's going to fix your COVID-19 if you already have it. So all of the hoopla and all of the misquoting, mismanagement at the healthcare level, what have I always told you here at TNN Live and Truth News Network? You got a question about anything? Follow the money. Follow the money. So what happened to Peter McCullough at the Baylor Health System? He was at the very top of the heap. A year and a half ago, he started writing papers, giving seminars, speaking all over the United States about conventional health care treatment for COVID-19 that included oh, a drug from back in the 50s that had been being used for 60-plus years to treat lupus and other immunological diseases. It was done doing so very effectively. And of course, the patent on it had expired long ago, and you could buy a month's supply of hydroxychloroquine for less than 10 bucks. You remember that? And then later, when it was tested by a bunch of very reputable doctors in the United States and around the world, him looking at laboratory tests and watching the results, 
he signed on and started promoting ivermectin. And there are other treatments. And these weren't standalone things. As, as Dr. McCullough told us yesterday, uh, I'm, I'm, he said, I'm never going to treat a person with just one thing, like exclusively hydroxychloroquine. He said it's always in tandem. Because of that, and because people were doing those things, starting to take those approaches to cure and to prevent COVID-19, and when I say people, I'm talking about people in the millions. Healthcare systems all across the nation went nuts. Why is that? We told you and we've tracked the profits of the pharmacy companies, Pfizer, Moderna, Johnson & Johnson, AstraZeneca. Folks, over the last year, they've made billions of dollars, billions, tens of billions of dollars, principally because they create the vaccine and they sell them. Well, they don't sell them to you or me. They sell them to the federal government. So you and I are paying for those treatments for everybody. And I guess during a pandemic, that's okay. But who else is making big bucks through all of this? Hospitals. Hospital companies. If you ever wondered, if you ever had a question, about why the rush, why the demand to label someone as having COVID-19. And then when they get to the hospital, how many times have you heard these stories? All of a sudden, they're in ICU. Cha-ching, cha-ching. And then all of a sudden, they're on a ventilator. Cha-ching, cha-ching. I don't know anything. I don't know any of the numbers specifically about Baylor Scott and White. It's a great system. It's been around for, gosh, generations, not just in Texas, but across the nation. Um, I'm not pointing fingers at them specifically, but what I am saying is that they're making bazillions of dollars if and when they treat patients and from top to bottom, all the documentation, everything, it begins with that patient being COVID positive. Now, as we know, you've heard, now let, me, let me just throw another little thought in there for you to consider. We hear all the time, gosh, you know, I took a COVID test and I uh, didn't have any symptoms at all. I did it because they made me or I, I just wanted to know. I didn't have a headache. I didn't have a problem with my taste. I didn't have any fever. I didn't have any respiratory distress. I wasn't sneezing, nothing. I took a test and it was positive. That's the beginning of the daisy chain that has dollar signs at the other end. Those PCR tests that the CDC very quietly said, hey, at the end of the year, we're going to cancel those things because uh, half of them are giving false positive results. Okay, they said half of the PCR test, half are giving bad information. And yet a big number of those people that were 
told they had COVID-19, a lot of that happened in a hospital emergency room. You test positive there, if you're having symptoms at all, they're going to admit you as a COVID-19 patient and then look out. No idea what's going to happen after that. No idea what or why or if any of that has anything to do with Dr. McCullough. I just, I'm just saying it, folks. Money is not the root of all evil. Don't get me wrong. I, I, <laughs> I've made a few dollars in my career. Money's good, and it makes the world go round. Literally, we gotta have it. But greed, greed makes people make some really bad choices. Don't you agree with that? And anytime there's a question in any issue, especially politics, and now healthcare, follow the money. We don't tell you what to think, but we give you truth to think about. This is TNN, the The Truth Truth News Network. Truthnewsnet.org. Computer, execute 12.4p operation. Optimizing algorithm. Running encryption packet alpha. Night, night. Oh, I don't feel so good. What? What is it, computer? Is it hot in here? It feels hot in here? I feel a little clammy. I should lie down or something. A computer with a virus? Surprising. What's not surprising? How much you could save by switching to GEICO. Those oysters Rockefeller were a mistake. GEICO. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. Northern Tool and Equipment. My girlfriend has given me a pet name. I'm afraid to ask. Snuggle Muffin. No, it isn't. And she uses it in public. Okay, so give your girlfriend a pet name she'll hate, like uh, Thunder Chunky. I couldn't do that. I see. Too harsh for Snuggle Muffin. Okay. Drown her out with a 200-mile-per-hour cordless sleep blower. Got it. Here she comes. Hey, Snuggle Muffin. What are you doing, Snuggle out of here. Wait, come back, Thunder Chunky. There's no problem a little horsepower can't solve. Northern Tool and Equipment. Oh, it's nice when you're talking about bad stuff to have a good song behind it. Hey, listen, today's story, Vaxxed or unvaxxed, vaxxed versus unvaxxed. If you haven't looked at it yet, I want to make a couple of points from it now, but make sure you go by and read it. Joe Biden, president, was the first to say it nationally. And you've heard it again and again. The COVID-19 pandemic is now a pandemic of the unvaccinated. So guess what? That statement by the president, no doubt, has been trumpeted over and over again by every mainstream media outlet in print, in audio, video, but it's patently untrue. The so-called experts are basing their opinion based highly on very misleading statistics. Therefore, the experts' facts are parroted around the world on every type of media, and people just quietly assume what they're hearing are facts. Two months ago, CDC Director Dr. Rochelle Walensky claimed this. Over 97 of people who are entering the hospital right now are unvaccinated. A few weeks later, in an August 5th statement, 
she inadvertently revealed how the statistic actually came about. The CDC was looking at hospitalization and mortality data from January through June of this year, a time frame during which the vast majority of the U.S. population was still unvaccinated. But things are different now, but they didn't change the methodology of the timing of these statistics. I wonder why the CDC is playing with stats in other ways, and they're doing that to create a false and inaccurate impression that unvaccinated people make up the bulk of infections, hospitalizations, and deaths. For example, we now find out the agency is counting anyone who died within the first 14 days post-injection as unvaccinated. Did you get that? I'm going to give it to you again slower. Think this through. The CDC is now counting anybody who died within the first two weeks after they get their first injection as being unvaccinated, even though they've gotten one of the jabs. That is patently false, and their own statistics refute those numbers that they're putting out. Not only does this inaccurately inflate the unvaccinated death toll, but it also hides the real dangers of the COVID shots as the vast majority of deaths from these shots occur within, you guessed it, the first two weeks. Now their deaths are counted as unvaccinated deaths rather than being counted as deaths due to vaccine injury or COVID-19 breakthrough infections. These days, you're not counted. You're not even considered fully vaccinated until 14 days have passed since you got your second injection in the case of Pfizer or Moderna or 14 days after your first dose of the Janssen, the J&J. This is how the CDC defines a vaccine breakthrough case where somebody that's vaccinated gets COVID-19. Here's what they have it defined as. A vaccine breakthrough infection is defined as the detection of SARS-CoV-2 RNA or antigen in a respiratory specimen collected from a person greater than 14 days after they have completed all recommended doses of an FDA-authorized COVID-19 vaccine. In other words, if you got the first dose, only one of Pfizer or Moderna, and you get symptomatic COVID-19, you get admitted to the hospital and or you die from COVID, you were unvaccinated. If you've received two doses and get sick within two weeks of getting the second, you're still counted as an unvaccinated case. The problem with that is, there are several problems, but the big one is, is over 40-80% of hospitalizations, over 80% of hospitalizations and deaths appear to be occurring among those who have received the shots. 80% of hospitalizations and deaths appear to be occurring among those who have already been vaccinated. This is a reality, folks, but it's hidden by the way cases are defined and counted. A really clever and common strategy of the CDC folks during the pandemic has been to change the definitions 
and the goalpost so it supports their politically partisan narrative. You want an example or two? Well, the CDC has quietly changed the definition of the very word, vaccine. Apparently, in an attempt to legitimize calling the COVID mRNA gene therapies vaccines. By the way, they're not by legal definition. Here's how we know this. In an August 26th archived version of the vaccine, the CDC defines it as, quote, a product that stimulates a person's immune system to produce immunity to a specific disease protecting the person from the disease. Now, that's, that's benign. That sounds legitimate. I mean, it makes sense to me. You get a vaccination, and that's to protect you by creating an immunity in your system, the vaccine, so that you don't get the disease. But just a few days later, guess what happened? A new definition for the word vaccine appeared on the CDC's website. It now says a vaccine is a, quote, preparation that is used to stimulate the body's immune response against diseases. Here at Truth News Network, we brought you that news a week ago ourselves, but nowhere in mainstream media can you find that covered. Maybe that's just an innocent omission, you think? The differences in the definition are subtle, but they're very distinct. The first one defined a vaccine as something that will produce immunity. The second one leaves that responsibility out. But since the COVID vaccines are not designed to stop infection, but rather to only lessen the degree of infection, which that's what their fallback is now, folks, it becomes obvious that the new definition was created to cover the COVID vaccines. So here's a good question. I like the term vax and unvax, V-A-X-X and U-N-V-A-X-X. It's not just the CDC's definition of a breakthrough case that alters the data. Even more egregious and illogical is the fact that the CDC even has two different sets of testing guidelines. You haven't heard this. There's one for vaccinated patients and another for the unvaccinated. So let me break it down. How sinister is this? We got to get a little bit technical, so hang on. And you've heard some of this lingo before. We've talked before about the test cycle threshold in the PCR testing and how changing that cycle will automatically impact the results. So what does that really mean? Well, when you look at their statistics, at first, the CDC recommended a PCR test cycle threshold of 40. Well, this flies in the face of science, the consensus of science, which has long been that a CT count over 35 will produce 97% false positives. And in medicine, what that means is it renders the test useless. Now again, the CDC has recommended a test cycle of 40. Anything over 35 produces 97% false positives. In mid-May 2021, the CDC finally lowered its recommended CT count, but only for patients who have received one or more COVID shots. 
So if you've gotten, say, one injection, the CDC's guideline calls for your PCR test to be run at a CT of 28 or less. If you're unvaccinated, your test is to be run at a count of 40, which grossly overestimates the true prevalence of infection. The end result? Unvaccinated individuals who get tested are far more prone to get false positives, while those who have received the jab are more likely to get an accurate diagnosis of infection. And there's another conundrum in the CDC statistics. The CDC hides vaccine failures and props up the pandemic of the unvaccinated narrative by only counting breakthrough cases that result in hospitalization or deaths. In other words, you got your second COVID shot more than two weeks ago, you get some symptoms, you don't count as a breakthrough case unless you're admitted to the hospital and or you die in the hospital even if you test positive. So COVID breakthrough cases count only if the following apply. If the patient received the second dose of the Pfizer or Moderna shot at least 14 days, or one dose in case of the Johnson & Johnson single-dose injection. The patient tests positive for COVID using a CT count of 28 or less, which avoids false positives, and the patient is admitted to the hospital for COVID and dies there. That's the only way they count them. So what about the true numbers for this? If vaccinated and unvaccinated were not treated with the same standards, we'd probably find that the vaccinated now make up the bulk of hospitalizations, making the COVID pandemic one of the vaccinated. One of the sources we go to a lot of times to bring you information and you hear us talk about them, the Epoch Times. A couple of weeks ago, they issued this bombshell report. After a battery of testing, my friend was diagnosed with pancreatitis, but it was easier for the hospital bureaucracy to register the admission as a COVID case. The mainstream media is reporting that severe COVID cases are mainly among unvaccinated people. So is that what's really going on? It's certainly not the case in Israel, and we've talked to you about this. Israel's the first country to fully vaccinate the majority of its citizens against the virus. Now, today, it has one of the highest daily infection rates and the majority, large majority of people catching the virus, 77 to 83% depending on age, have already been vaccinated. That's according to data collected by the Israeli government. After admission, I spoke to the nurse in the COVID ward. The nurse told me she had gotten both vaccines, but she was feeling worried. Two-thirds of my patients, she said, are fully vaccinated. How can there be such a disconnect between the COVID ward nurse and the mainstream media reports on this? Here's the problem, folks. The U.S. is not even trying to get an accurate count. The CDC have publicly acknowledged they do not have accurate data. So when you hear that cases are rising and that most of them are unvaccinated, ask this question. Are these people who have had one vaccine and gotten sick, two vaccines and gotten sick, or no vaccines at all? Without more details in that specificity, 
it's impossible to know what is really going on. I, I just can't believe we're dealing with this. On top of all of it, it gets worse. Hospitals are still reporting non-COVID-related illnesses as COVID. Remember I told you about the man that broke his leg in New York, entered the hospital. He had something happen regarding high blood pressure and died. They never even tested him for COVID. His official cause of death was COVID over and over and over and over again. Health authorities around the world have been doing this since the start of this thing. A young man in Orange County, Florida, who died in a motorcycle crash during the summer was originally considered a COVID death by state health officials. And a middle-aged construction worker fell off a ladder in Croatia and was also counted as a death from COVID. And to muddy the waters further, even people who test negative for COVID are sometimes counted as COVID deaths. Here's another one. 26-year-old Matthew Irvin, a father of three from Yamhill County, Oregon. Irvin went to the ER with stomach pain, nausea, and diarrhea on July 5th. But instead of admitting him to the hospital, the doctors sent him home. Five days later, Irvin died. Though his COVID test came back negative two days after his death, and his family told reporters and public health officials that no one Irvin had been around had any COVID symptoms, the medical examiner allegedly told the family that an autopsy was not necessary, listing his death as COVID-19. It took the Oregon Health Authority two and a half months to straighten that up and report it the right way. And an even more striking example of overcounting COVID deaths, a nursing home in New Jersey has only 90 beds, was wrongly reported as having 753 deaths from COVID. According to a spokesman, they had fewer than 20 in other words, the number of deaths was overreported by 3,700%. I don't know about you, but I've had about all this crap that I can stand. I am sick and tired of having this shoved down our throats over and over and over again. Lie after lie after lie. And people stand in front of us who we have been told whatever they say is fact. you got to trust them. We have to trust the science, they tell us, but what they're actually telling us, what they're saying, when they say, trust the science, follow the science, they're really saying, trust our scientists and what they tell you. Forget about the fact that what they're saying, in most part, is 180 degrees from the truth. Forget about that. Don't even think about that. Don't worry about it. Just trust us. Trust us. Give us your life. We're going to protect you. And just sit down and shut up and do what we tell you. It's that bad, folks. But you know what's even worse? The vaccine, the adverse results that have been happening. CDC doesn't talk about any of them. They don't mention them. In fact, they changed their reporting methodology and they quit talking about crossover cases and the numbers of that when it became very obvious that the numbers were rising and rising and they were all of a sudden in the middle of the night, somebody there, maybe Fauci, I don't know. Somebody went, oh my gosh, this is going to make us look really bad. 
We got to start hiding the numbers. Hide the facts. Don't tell anybody. It's really bad. Join a community of online learning and find your bright future at the American Women's College of Bay Path University. Getting your college education doesn't necessarily make it so you have different self-worth or you mean more. There's so many different roads you can take. But if you have the feeling that you want it, go get it. The American Women's College is supportive and kind, and what you've created has changed lives, and I'm so grateful that I can say I've been part of it. Enrolling now for September and November at baypath.edu slash future. Whether holding down the fort or bouncing back to school, childhood is always in session. So keep feeding us right with sun-made snacks, just like when you were a kid. Remember their naturally sweet raisins? Yup, still delicious. And so are Sunmate's other snacks, like creamy yogurt-covered raisins, sour raisin snacks that taste like sour candy with no added sugar, and Sunmate's new s'mores and birthday cake bites. All delicious, all made with whole fruit. Sunmade snacks. For over 75 years, people have saved money with... Uh, with Geico. Uh, sorry. Here we go, from the top, and action. For over 75 years, people have saved money with Gecko. So Cut it. What? What did I say? Gecko. I said Gecko. Oh. For over 75 years. <laughs> Keep it together. I'm good. I'm good. For over 70. <laughs> what are you doing there? Stop making me laugh. Geico. Saving people money for over 75 years. Don't look at me. Don't look at me. Hi, it's Jamie, Progressive's Employee of the Month, two months in a row. Leave a message at the. Hi, Jamie. It's me, Jamie. I just had a new idea for our song about the Name Your Price tool. So when it's like, tell us what you want to pay, hey, 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 and the trombone goes, blah, 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 and you say, we'll help you find coverage options to fit your budget. Then we just all do finger snaps while a choir goes, savings coming at ya, savings coming at ya. Yes? No? Maybe? Anyway, see your practice tonight. I got new lyrics for the rap break. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. There's only one Dan Newman anymore well that just wouldn't be fair yeah there's only one of me <laughs> i'm sure my wife is glad about that on this covid 19 travesty of news and information and facts the glut that has taken all kinds of factual information and just trampled on them turned them into falsehoods it gets even worse. I don't want to spend much more time doing this, but guess what's going on now? National data has revealed that nearly one in every 500 Americans has died from the coronavirus that accounts for 0.2% of the entire population. Now, to believe that number, what do you have to believe? You have to believe that every death that is reported with an official COD cause of death is COVID-19 you got to believe those are truthful. And we now know that a massive percentage are not factually COVID-19 deaths. But the newest CDC figures revealed 660,380 Americans have died from the virus, while the number of cases has reached 41 million. Additionally, per the U.S. Census Bureau, our population extended to 332,582,420 as of August 2nd. So based on the death toll in conjunction with the total population, nearly one in every 504 Americans died as a result of coronavirus. 
The number of total confirmed cases has reached 41 million plus, while last week, 979,000 new cases. In the past seven days, 8,842 Americans died. John Hopkins reported 179 million Americans have been vaccinated, 55% of the total population as of two days ago. The data also outlined the states that made the most vaccine progress on September 14th showed New Jersey, Texas, Washington, Tennessee, and Florida provided the most shots for citizens. Last week, it came to light that Fauci's National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases funded gain-of-function research at the Wuhan Institute of Virology. That's according to documents that are now there that are email transmissions. The lab is responsible for creating coronavirus that are novel with the ability to infect humans, including one strain previously undisclosed. The SARS-related COVID was found to be more pathologic to human than the viruses from which it was developed. In the middle of all this, Rand Paul ripped Fauci in a tweet that read, Surprise, surprise, Fauci lied again, and I was right about his agency funding coronavirus research at Wuhan. He followed up, Paul did, with another tweet. I've already asked the Department of Justice to review Fauci's testimony for lying to Congress. This report should make it abundantly clear he needs to be held accountable. So I think you probably know where I'm going with this. You can't believe anything we're told is factual about COVID-19. Now think for a moment where that puts us, everyday Americans. We know COVID-19, first of all, is real. It doesn't matter where it came from. It doesn't matter if it was manipulated. It was, If it was originally created to be used eventually as a bioweapon, none of that matters, folks. What really matters is it's killing people. And yeah, maybe some healthcare professionals are treating it wrong. Maybe they're purposefully fudging here and fudging there. But if you pulled all of those numbers that are affected by what any one of those things or any multiple of those things are doing, It's still deadly, and it still keeps people, kills people. But yet, we don't know for certain how serious it is, and therefore, we're in the dark when it comes time to make some real, educated, factual decisions. And yes, we're talking about life and death decisions. Speaking of that, and these PCR tests, and the fact that as much as half of the test results are wrong. Let me give you some numbers. Cases, not deaths, but case numbers in the United States. In flu season 2012 and 2013, we had 34 million cases. 2013, 2014, 30 million. 30 million again the next year. 2015, 2016, it dropped to 24 million. 2016, 17, 29 million. We had a bad flu season in 2017, 2018, up to 45 million cases. 2018, 2019 flu season, 36 million cases. The next year, 2019, 2020, 38 million cases. The flu season, 2020 and 2021, 1,822. I'm not kidding, folks. Those are the actual numbers published by the CDC. 
So in one year, we went from having 38 million flu cases to having only 1,822. I'm just one of those people that I'm pretty sure that a huge number of those COVID cases, the case numbers we've been given, were actually cases of the flu. And numerous doctors have said that. Many have been chided by their managements. And actually, a bunch of them have lost their jobs for saying that. And you heard Dr. McCullough yesterday talk about what happened at Baylor Scott and White, his institution, to him. Why? Following the science, not following the scientist. Big difference. Well, Gavin Newsom maintained his seat as president. Uh, excuse me. He would like to be president. No doubt about it. He's going to run for president, just saying. Anyway, he, uh, he kept his governorship in California. Meanwhile, thousands of state employees and healthcare workers there, they're planning to avoid Newsom's new coronavirus vaccine mandates, either by seeking at exemptions or resisting the new policy altogether in a show of defiance. The LA Times reported that 25% of the LAPD workforce plans to avoid the vaccine mandate. More than 2,600 Los Angeles Police Department employees have indicated they plan to perceive religious exemptions, while more than 350 plan to seek medical ones. Under the ordinance, city employees must be fully vaccinated by next month, October 15th, six weeks, unless they are granted a religious or medical exemption. Employees who receive exemptions will be subject to regular testing for the virus. It's a city ordinance. City officials pushed back a deadline last week for employees to get that exemption, instead giving workers until the end of Monday to indicate they plan to pursue an exemption. As of early evening on Monday, nearly 3,000 of 12,000 LAPD employees had done that and the number could grow before a midnight cutoff. Preliminary figures were not available for other city departments. It's happening all around the state, folks. Listen, they need to, they being the government at every level, they need to realize facts are getting out into the marketplace and the cancel culture has stopped a lot of it. But you just can't keep truth out of the marketplace of ideas. People who have the truth, people who know the truth, are going to push it out for other people. And it's amazing how they clamp down over and over and over. They cancel anybody and everybody. Dr. McCullough, that's exactly what Baylor Scott White is doing with him. They've canceled him. He loses his job years and years and years. Hundreds of thousands of uh, pages of written materials that were published, many of those in the Scott and White system, have been removed. Quieting dissent is what's going on. And we've seen that throughout world history at large scales everywhere. It's never stopped. It's always happening in societies in other countries around the world. Never have we seen this in the United States of America. Never. 
One more COVID story and we're done. A Zoom conference leaked yesterday reveals that a doctor questioning on how to increase the count of COVID-19 patients' numbers, how they could do that. A media outlet, National File, they said they got the recording from an internal source at the Novant Health System that includes New Hanover Regional Medical Center in Wilmington, North Carolina. In fact, this National File, this media outlet, they posted the video on its Twitter feed. National File and other local media outlets reported on the leak identified the people in the video as Mary Catherine Rudick, who is a doctor at the medical center, asking, Mary Cat, Dr. Rudick, is asking Carolyn Fisher, the hospital's director of marketing, how can we inflate the number of people that are classified as COVID-19 patients? And her reason, explanation for wanting to do that is to generate fear among the unvaccinated. Here's a quote. I think we have to be more blunt. We have to be more forceful. We have to say something coming out. If you don't get vaccinated, you know you're going to die. Dr. Rudick said this in the video. Let's just be really blunt to these people. The video begins with Fisher explaining how her department is communicating meaningful numbers, which she defines as the percentage of the unvaccinated vaccinated and percentage of deaths in the ICU to the general public. Rudick, the doctor, then asked how post-COVID cases can be included in the number of people hospitalized for COVID. My feeling at this point in time is that maybe we need to be completely a little bit more scary for the public, the doc said. There are many people still hospitalized that we're considering post-COVID, but we're not counting in those numbers. So how do we include those post-COVID people in the numbers of patients we have in the hospital? Fisher asked if she meant every patient who has been in the hospital since the beginning of COVID. The doctor answered, well, that are still in, and that's something I can take to someone else, but I think those are important numbers. The patients that are still in the hospital that are off the COVID floor, but still are occupying the hospital for a variety of reasons. Included in the conference was Shelburne Stevens the president of New Hanover Regional Medical Center, who said those patients are classified as recovered. But I do think from our standpoint, we would still consider them a COVID patient because they're still healing. Dr. Rudick said she thinks those patients need to be highlighted as well. Think, of, Just listen to this conversation. They're figuring out ways to change the labeling, to manipulate the medical determination of these post-COVID patients that the doctor herself said, they're still in the hospital because they got a bunch bunch of other stuff going on. They're not on the COVID floor. They no longer have COVID. Even if they really had it in the first place, they no longer have it. But we got to find a way to put those numbers, you know, their numbers, kind of change the label, erase it on a whiteboard and change them to COVID. And that's just one hospital. Do you think that's the only place? (laughs) The only place that's happening? Biden yesterday 
said that his administration is developing an emergency rule that will require all employers with 100 or more, he doubled down on this from last week, to ensure their workforces are fully vaccinated or show a negative test at least once a week. So after he demanded that, all hospital workers get that COVID-19 vaccine, administrators in some rural hospitals, they express their concern about that. Some of this is due to regulatory agencies' inconsistency and conflicting orders. An example, Governor Abbott in Texas recently prohibited public hospitals from requiring their employees to get vaccinated. Brownfield Regional Medical Center CEO Jerry Jasper says that nursing agencies are pulling staff away for a higher salary, so losing any workers hurts rural hospitals. How's Governor Abbott going to take this? He hasn't complied with anything federal laws have done so far, so we're going to have to, here in Texas at least, we're going to have to wait and see how that plays out. Jerry Jasper added, 20% of my probably 20 to 25% of my staff will have to go away if that's the case. Losing those workers will force his hospital to close. So what does that mean? Losing Medicare and Medicaid funding isn't an option either as it accounts for 80 to 85% of their budget. It's huge in our rural community as all the other rural communities. We all have high poverty levels and stuff like that. So a lot of Medicaid usage in our communities and stuff like that, he said. It would be devastating for the community, frankly. We have a large percentage of our revenue that comes from Medicare, Medicaid, and those kinds of products. Gray claims that about 70% of his employees have been vaccinated. He supports the vaccine, but he thinks mandate is not the right approach. The point of this, the point of me even mentioning this, is these rural hospitals are going to be the first to go. And what we're talking about, if you know anything about Texas, you know how vast it is in geography. In many cases, folks, it's 100 miles to a hospital. These big ranches, especially up in the western part, especially the northwestern part of Texas, I mean, you've got millions, I mean literally millions of square miles of nothing but farmland and ranch land, very productive for the economy of Texas and for a whole lot of Texans. And if these rural hospitals and these smaller towns and cities, if they close, people that get sick, they have no place to go that's not 100, 150, 200 miles away. And there are other places that applies around the nation. It's not exclusive to these big states. It's not at all. Congressman Jim Jordan from Ohio. Yesterday, he uh, he jacked it up again in a hearing. And, of course, he's talking about some of this stuff we're talking about, not specifically COVID-related, but mixed messages and changing narratives and purposely doctoring things that are said. Here's Jim Jordan, and you can bet inside of this you're going to hear Fauci's name mentioned. For, for yielding, he mentioned uh, double standard. That's all we've got from this administration relative to COVID is a double standard and a mixed message. I mean, double standard. I remember the, the, the governor of California uh, going to a dinner with lobbyists and 
friends and family, no mask. At the same time, he was telling the folks he's, he represents in his state that they couldn't have Thanksgiving with their family. I mean, talk about mixed message. But Dr. Fauci said no mask, then one mask, then two masks, then one mask, then no mask. Now back to one mask. I mean, they've been all over the place. Yesterday, yesterday, the vice president, Vice President Harris, let me just find it. Vice President Harris tweeted out this. Vice President Harris said, by vaccinating, increasing our testing and masking and protecting the vaccinated, we can end this pandemic, which sort of raises an obvious question. If the vaccine protects, why do the vaccinated need protecting? I think it's a pretty, pretty basic question. So they've been all over the place on mixed messages. I think the gentleman's amendment from, uh, the gentleman from California, his amendment is simply like, look, if you're going to mandate it for American citizens, and if they don't get it, they may lose their job. Doesn't it make sense for people who are coming into this country, particularly coming here illegally, that they should have to get it? Pretty common sense. I bet the folks I represent in the 4th District of Ohio would say, yeah, that makes kind of common sense to me. That's all this amendment says. But no, the Democrats say, no, we're going to mandate it for American citizens, but we're not going to mandate it for people who come to the country illegally. That makes no sense. There's not a person I represent, I would bet, in the 4th District of Ohio who would agree with their position. But that's their position. And there's not anyone in the whole country who, who understands what the vice president is saying yesterday in this tweet by vaccinating, increasing our testing and masking and protecting the vaccinated, we can end this pandemic. What? I don't get it. If the vaccine protects, why do the vaccinated need protecting? I don't get it. I do not get it. But again, that's, that's the one thing consistent from the Biden administration relative to COVID is their inconsistency. That's the one thing we know. With that, I yield back to the gentleman from Oregon. Inconsistency <laughs> is the consistency, the sole consistency in the Biden administration. <laughs> uh, you can't make this stuff up, folks. I mean, this government, our government, on our watch, and I'm not pointing fingers of blame. I mean, come on now. There's plenty to go around, and you can't pull switches and make votes and all that kind of stuff in Congress in D.C., and you can't regulate what these agencies tell us. Let's step back on the COVID thing. Last mention we're going to have today on the COVID thing. Let's step back. Let's say two years when we first heard about it. Not even that long. But anyway, what if we find out someday that we, the United States of America, we were really involved in taking a virus from nature, in nature, that didn't impact humans at all, and that using our tax dollars in a lab over in Wuhan, and who was in office when this process happened? And it happened. We know it happened in 2019. Here's something else you need to know. We know for a fact Barack Obama and Joe Biden were physically present at one time in the Wuhan Virology Institute. That was when we made a big deal. Obama did. We're funding this research over here. What if we find out that they knew this gain-of-function thing, which was to make a virus more serious, more deadly, 
and to make it transmissible from animals to humans. What if we find out that really happened and that it was done either without any cooperation of the Chinese Communist Party or maybe with the cooperation and that our COVID-19 horrible situation with egregious illnesses and many deaths were because two of our political leaders, or even maybe more, were in cahoots trying to figure a way to gain some power and authority that they didn't already have in government to use, maybe not just against us, maybe to use a bioweapon like COVID-19 against our enemies, a way to weaponize. Don't think for a second thoughts about weaponization of anything and everything can be used in the political theater. Don't think that wasn't on politicians' minds back in 2019 and 2020, back in 1900, folks. Politics is all about gaining more power, gaining more authority, gaining more control over pretty much everything and everybody. It is, factually. Used to be, I thought, all about money, but then when you have power, you have authority over the money as well. Obama was there. Biden was there. Fauci's been there. And Fauci, we have documented evidence back and forth. He, regardless of what he testified to multiple times before Congress, he funded that gain-of-function research. Why do it at the Wuhan Institute of Virology? Why not doing it at uh, University of North Carolina Chapel Hill, where we spend tens of millions of dollars funding research there, or the University of Texas, or at other great laboratories domestically? You know why? Because it was made illegal to fund gain-of-function in the United States, and so they just do it in Wuhan, China. And who, oh who, in their right mind would think that even if the Chinese government didn't know about this before it happened, that after they happened and they know that we were paying for it, they wouldn't somehow, you know, slip over there and grab a little bit of it. Does that sound very far-fetched? i got to be honest with you. If, if, if that was just confirmed right now that that would happen, it would make everything we've talked about and have been talking about for two years. It would have made it understandable. And it would be a realistic explanation for it all. Put that in your peace pipe and smoke it, folks. Back in a minute at TNN Live. And we've got one of my favorite members of Congress, Senator John Kennedy from Louisiana. And he weighed in yesterday in the middle of a judiciary hearing to confirm one of Joe Biden's federal judge of nominees. You got to hear this. I mean, John Kennedy, folks, I got to tell you, he is amazing, an amazing man of wit. But I love the way he spins this, and you're going to listen to a federal judge appointee from Joe Biden crawl, trying to avoid answering real questions. That's next. Carb up with yakisoba, the noodle masters. No matter what stage of life you're in, we have the perfect noodles for you. From birthday noodles to wedding noodles, all the way to those most final of noodles. 
Every occasion has a noodle at Yakisoba. So experience something different. Yakisoba. It literally means fried noodles. It's Super Salmon Days down at Fish Brothers. For a limited time, bring in any fish and get a child salmon entree free. You heard right. Bring in any fish and get a free child salmon entree. And I mean any fish. Got a swordfish lying around? Bring it in. Got a goldfish you're sick of feeding? Bring it in. Got a fish that's been sitting in the sun for a few days? Bring it in. We'll throw it in with the rest of them. What we do with the fish is nobody's business but ours. Just enjoy your salmon $8.99 with our famous stew. So, welcome on into Fish Brother Seafood themed restaurant where everything's a great catch, except the shrimp. I'm a Verizon engineer, and today we're turning on 5G across the country, including right here in New York City. With the coverage of 5G nationwide and in more and more cities, the unprecedented performance of ultra wideband. It will change your phone and how businesses do everything. I'm proud because we didn't build it the easy way. We built it right. This is the 5G America's been waiting for, only from Verizon. 5G ultra wideband available only in parts of select cities. 5G nationwide available in 1800 plus cities. This is the sound of regular water droplets. This is the sound of vitamin water droplets. Regular water, vitamin water. Regular water, vitamin water. Hey, come on now. Vitamin water. It has vitamins, but also parties. Locked and loaded with Truth Ammo. Taking aim at the problem, it's Dan Newman. Not just the problem. All the problems, and we can't deal with them all. We try to get as many of the important ones here for you to discuss on a daily basis. Hey, anytime you want to join the show, I I, I haven't even mentioned this today, we'll pay for your phone call toll-free, 866, put a 1 in front of it, 1-866-37-TRUTH. That's 1-866-378-7884. I have been told that some people are a little bit leery about calling in on the show because I sound sometimes a little gruff. Maybe it's because I got a loud voice. I don't know what it is, but trust me, your opinion about all this stuff is very, very important to me. And I always want to know what everybody has to say. People that know me personally on a personal level that interact with me anytime, they know that I listen. I like to hear what people think because that gives me confirmation about some things. It also challenges me in some areas about what to say and what to do and how people are feeling about not only what's happening, but their opinions about what's happening and the problems it creates in their lives. And please, do not ever think that there are 300 million Americans, most of who are very concerned about all that we're facing now. I mean, I can't think of a sector of of life in the United States that's not being impacted in negative ways right now. Our economy, our employment, our health care, our government, all of those rolled in and everything else. In many cases, folks, everything is under siege. And so, therefore, it's important that we all get together with our minds. We don't have to think alike. We don't have to share the same issues. But we need to be open to hear, to listen, 
and get facts. And the only way we can do that is to interact with other people. So, feel free, give us a call whenever, toll free, 866-37-TRUTH, 866-378-7884. Now, I promised you, Mark Twain of the 21st century, that's Senator John Kennedy from Louisiana, he, uh, he, just, he just went crazy yesterday in a Senate nominee hearing for a federal judge. And he just wanted some simple questions answered. Actually, one simple question answered. Listen to Senator Kennedy and listen to Biden's nominee for federal judgeship and how she obviously has been coached at how to answer any questions, especially those that come from Republican senators, and how to not answer some of those questions. Here's Senator Kennedy. Counselor, did you really say that Justice Kavanaugh was a morally bankrupt person? Senator, as I explained, I did not write that letter. I did sign did it. Did you and read I, it? I read it quickly, yes, And sir. you signed it? Yes, sir. Did you really say that Justice Kavanaugh, if he would was confirmed, would cause people to die? As I stated, Senator, I understood those statements were overheated rhetoric, but I understood them to be just yeah, that, but you said rhetorical. It. You said it, right? I did sign the letter, yes, Senator. Okay. Do you, do you believe that Brett Kavanaugh is a morally bankrupt person? Senator, sitting here as a judicial nominee, it is not appropriate for me to comment Do you believe personally that, well, on you any said justice. It. You said it. Do you believe that he's a morally bankrupt person? Senator, it is not appropriate for me Why to comment. Why not? You said it. I Senator, understand. Senator, I'm, I am giving you extra time, but can she be allowed to answer? Sure. I, I, I just want an answer. I agree that she should answer. You're not going to answer my question? I believe I've answered it to the best of my ability. Honestly, Senator, I respect completely the confirmation process and the authority oh, of Justice oh, Kavanaugh okay. and every but, Supreme Court justice. But, but do you, this is real simple. You said just a few years ago, you weren't in law school, you weren't in college. You said Brett Kavanaugh is a morally bankrupt person. It's clear as thunder on a summer night. Now, you're under oath. Do you believe he is or not? How hard is that? You'll have much harder questions as a federal judge if you make it that far. I appreciate the question, Senator. As I stated, those statements were rhetorical advocacy that I signed as an alum addressing my law school alma mater. I did not... Well, let me, let me ask you about this rhetorical advocacy. Is, does rhetorical advocacy mean... You said something, but now that you've been nominated, you're scared that you can't get the vote, so you're going to uh, try not to answer the question. Is that what rhetorical, ad rhetorical advocacy means? What is rhetorical advocacy? Is it a lie? No, it's not a lie, Senator. I would say that it's statements that are made in service of an advocacy position. Okay. And it, 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 if you issue an opinion... And you get reversed by the Supreme Court? Are you just going to say, oh, don't worry about it, justices? That was just rhetorical advocacy? What is this? 
Absolutely not, Senator. If the court issues an opinion as a lower court judge, I would be absolutely bound to, to follow it. It is not merely rhetorical advocacy. It is the law of the land. Okay, let me try one more time. Do you believe that Brett Kavanaugh is a morally bankrupt person? Senator, as sitting I... Sitting here today, under oath. Sitting here today, under oath, I can assure you that I respect completely the authority of Justice Kavanaugh as a duly confirmed Supreme Court Justice of the United yes, States. Yes, ma'am, but do you believe he's morally bankrupt? Senator, as I stated, I respect his authority and the authority of every Supreme Court Justice sitting on our court. Yes, ma'am, but, but do you believe he's morally bankrupt? My personal opinion is not for me, is not appropriate for me to say. I respect his authority as a Supreme Court so Justice. So you think he is morally first. bankrupt? I did not say that, Senator. But you signed a letter saying he was morally bankrupt. Several years ago, uh -huh. as an alum addressing my law school alma mater, I did sign a letter that I believed was addressed only to my law school administration. Oh, you but didn't think it would be public? I did not understand that it would be used as a public advocacy piece. No, okay. I believed it was only addressed to my law school administration. And, and you signed that because, because you wanted to show fidelity to your alma mater, Yale Law School? I signed it, Senator, at the time because I felt that it was an appropriate statement to make to my law school administration, notwithstanding the overheated rhetoric. But sitting here today as a judicial nominee, what I want to assure you is that as an advocate, as a litigator, as a neutral adjudicator, and as a judge, if confirmed, I would absolutely respect the authority of every Supreme Court justice and all of its precedents without reservation. See, I don't believe you. I think you, I think you said, I think you allowed your political beliefs to cloud your judgment. And I think you said a few years ago what, what you said about Brett Kavanaugh, and I think you believe it. And... I can't imagine what it's going to be like to be a litigant in front of you with that demonstration of lack of judicial temperament and judgment. How can a litigant possibly think that you're not going to act on personal beliefs if you were so intemperate to say something like this? Last question. Are you proud of the fact that Yale Law School has a quota system limiting the number of Asian Americans? Have you ever written a letter about that? Or does that not, is that, how, where does that fit in your, your socioeconomic uh, view of the world that you think everybody else should adopt and you will impose if you're in a position of power? Senator, I'm not aware of any policy like that, but what I can assure you is that I have a track record. You need to get out as, more. I have a track record as a neutral adjudicator. I have decided cases for nearly five years impartially by applying the law as set forth in our statutes, our constitution, and our precedents. You, and I have applied that law impartially. I have you, ruled You're the only person in precedent. the Milky Way who believes you're impartial. <laughs> One thing about Senator Kennedy is you never have to wonder where he stands on any issue. And he, he was he was pretty hell-bent on getting that woman to give him <laughs> whether or not she thinks Supreme Court Justice Brett Kavanaugh is morally bankrupt. 
she absolutely refused to do it. Now, remember, think about this, folks. What she said was she's made many judicial decisions based on the law, yada, 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 yada. But every American, everybody knows, everybody knows that every judge, everything's not in black and white, folks. There are opinions that are included in every finding that comes out of any courtroom on any issue, top to bottom, United States Supreme Court on down to a a city judge. That's part of the process. And when judges are appointed and they want to be confirmed, people who do the confirmation process, that's the Senate and they have to be vetted and go through first the Senate Judiciary Committee, where you just heard that hearing. And it is applicable, and it is appropriate to ask one of these nominees what their personal opinion is about something. I would not want to be standing in front of that woman if she does become a federal judge on any issue. Because to be quite honest with you, she is a woman of color. She, I think she's Latin. I couldn't tell. But if she looked at this big, bald, bearded, white guy with an earring in his left ear, it's going to paint her perspective. It's going to affect her opinion. And who in their right mind would think that she or any other judge is not going to allow personal opinion to enter into a decision that they make? Will they stick to The absolute facts, I don't know. We hear a lot of stupid, stupid verdicts coming out of courts today. Why do you think it's known that that federal appeals court, the Eighth Circuit out in California, is so hard left in the verdicts that they give out? It's because that's what they do. They insert their far left political opinions into the verdicts they render the cases that they write. I think we just heard Mark Twain, 2021, asking the questions in the Senate Judiciary Committee. News coming from the southern border, I know this probably won't surprise you, but once again, more than 200,000 illegal immigrants were arrested at the southern border. That's for the second consecutive month. We're still on track to set a new yearly record. Border agents apprehended 208,887 people, which is slightly down from July, but it's up over four times, 400% from August of 2020, three times from August of 2019. Most of those illegals were single adults, nearly 100,000. About 80,000 people were part of a family unit. About 18,500 were unaccompanied minors or illegal immigrant kids without a responsible adult. The men and women at Border Patrol continue to set up to meet the demands of high numbers of encounters at our southern border. That's according to Acting Commissioner Troy Miller. The number of arrests have gone up for 16 straight months, starting during the Trump administration after hitting a low of just 17,106 in April, shortly after the COVID pandemic began. The apprehensions jumped after President Biden took office, dramatically changed the immigration enforcement system, altering or outright stopping key tenets of the former administration's policies. 
and you know all the changes that were done, that Title 42 power thing activated because of the pandemic. Joe Biden threw it out. The court told him you can't do that. You've got to bring it back in. I've not heard any facts or statistics that show that that Remain in Mexico thing, part of the Title 42, I don't know that that's being used again. I know that there's some some um, planning and procedural hurdles that have to be climbed because you can't just stop and then start it. It involves the nation of Mexico, who were the ones that had an agreement with the Trump administration um, to set that process up, and they're the ones that enforce it and operate it on that side of the border. But I can tell you one thing. In American parlance, Joe Biden screwed this whole thing up. And still to this day, doesn't want to take responsibility for it, won't discuss it, won't have any conversations, won't answer any questions about it, and just keeps doing it. And it's just multiplying now because of the Afghan refugee. And refugee, I put in parentheses, because a lot of those people are not refugees. I tell you one that just blows my mind. I actually saw a video of two busloads full of refugees that were finally getting on a plane to come to the United States. And as they got off the buses, it was pointed out to me, they were dressed. I mean, you know, they wear, the, the, the women especially, they wear the full top to the top of their heads to the bottom of their feet. They're fully clothed. But they were real fancy clothes, and every one of them was wearing on their arm a $1,000 purse, Gucci and the other real expensive ones. So they're not all refugees. A lot of them were people that just wanted to get out of Afghanistan and wanted to come to the United States. Just say, it's not going to get better anytime soon. And the Afghanistan, by the way, the Afghanistan thing, it's just not good over there, nor is it over here. What do you mean, Dan? Well, last week, a... Um, trying to see who it was. Holloman Air Base. Where is that? It's in the 2nd Congressional District of New York, uh, of New Mexico. I got it. Um, representative that represents that district was talking about her visit there. The base now hosts about 5,000 Afghan re- evacuees. She said our military accomplished a Herculean feat in running this humanitarian effort. You can imagine, you got to all of a sudden, overnight almost, build and set the infrastructure in place to operate a facility big enough to contain and deal with 5,000 people at one time, like overnight, over the weekend. In a matter of days, they constructed a small city that is now able to house 5,000 people. Those evacuees are fed, clothed, provided medical services, given sleeping quarters, that are conducive to the size of their family, and even religious services are available. None of this work could be done without the financial support of American taxpayers. Of course, the government doesn't come and ask us, hey, will you give us a a dollar or two in this thing? They just take it from the tax money that we send to D.C. Therefore, she said, Americans are entitled to a better understanding of the refugee resettlement process happening wherever they live. She said that, unfortunately, she left Holloman Air Force Base with more questions than answers. 
high-ranking military brass and officials from Homeland Security and the State Department couldn't give her the facts about the identities of those in this, what they're calling now, a village. They didn't know, or maybe they wouldn't say, how many were U.S. citizens, how many were special immigrant visa applicants, how many were merely people that made it onto our airplanes. Even more importantly, she said, they could not say how many refugees had roles serving alongside U.S. forces. Those are the people that we said, we're committed to get them out. Those are the only ones we're going to get out. And we find out that many, 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 many more times of just everyday Afghans are now in the United States on our tax dollars that were not those Afghanis who worked with our military. It's puzzling, she said, that the evacuation effort was sold to the American people as a rescue of Afghan interpreters for our military. Yet I was told that the village at Holloman is forced to employ at least 50 outside interpreters to bridge the significant language gap. Where are those interpreters? There were even fewer answers about the vetting process, which is essential to the safety and security of American citizens. Government officials couldn't confirm whether they had access to the criminal and security databases in Afghanistan. That is incredible. There are no accurate criminal and security databases in Afghanistan, and even in most other Middle Eastern countries. While still insisting that all refugees had gone through, quote, extensive vetting prior to being flown to the United States. That didn't happen, folks. They insisted that even the simplest answers were classified, but they didn't offer to move to a classified setting at the base for us to talk about them. She said she's thankful that we were able to save as many allies as we could following that rushed evacuation of over 120,000 people. The 9-11 Commission explicitly named a failed vetting process and lax immigration enforcement as the key reasons, the key reasons that terrorist hijackers were able to carry out the attacks, dropping the Twin Towers in New York City and killing 2,900-plus Americans. We can't risk that again. Homeland Security, Department of State, all but admitted they played fast and they played loose with refugee procedures and immigration law. They will be condensing an 18-month process into mere weeks for an SIV program already ramped with fraud. They imported asylum seekers to America with no visas to then give them work permits and parole, circumventing a process for vetting refugees that usually takes place on foreign soil. They couldn't provide the statutory authority for any of that. In addition, the notion of third country, third world country resettlement in the Middle East seemed to be a particularly controversial idea, as if the suggestion that resettlement in areas with similar culture, similar language, religion, and geography was offensive. I mean, in all of that, we're still talking about we don't want to be offensive. She said she was struck that there's no sense of assimilation on base. A village in Afghanistan has been plopped into Otero County, New Mexico with male elders 
controlling nearly every aspect of life not dictated by the U.S. military. Now think about that. That's the Muslim culture. What do the Muslim culture say? Women are nothing. They're property. They're not allowed to speak. They're not allowed to work. They're good for two things, cooking and making babies. That's pretty much it. Men control everything. And here we are on the left, folks, every day. What do we hear over and over and over again? Our nation is run by mad old white men. Well, those mad old white men are the ones that are living in the nation where women in the United States of America have achieved over the last few decades more freedom, no more liberty, more power than in any other society on the planet. This is just one more little chapter, one more little chapter in the world of Joe Bidenism. What else is going on? We've got, we have legislation being considered. Oh, you mean Congress is actually trying to pass some new legislation? Well, we talked about it yesterday briefly, the $3.5 trillion spending plan. And so the Democrats, they control the House, they control the Senate, they control the White House, which means they should be able to get any piece of legislation passed that they so choose. But they're struggling with this one, folks. And their frustrations have simmered for weeks now. And now they're boiling over as lawmakers got back to Washington, immediately plunged into a debate over tax hikes to pay for this $3.5 trillion boondoggle spending plan. The House Ways and Means Committee unveiled its tax proposals on Monday. Democrats are pushing up against a self-imposed deadline to finish drafting the bill. They haven't even got it written. And they're wanting to get it passed like that. That's what they do now. Wait, wait, wait till the last minute and throw out a multi-thousand page bill that nobody has time to read or vet or do anything, analyze it, even the CBO, the Congressional Budget Office, to come up with numbers. And they want us to pass it, our members in Congress to pass it. And what have we done lately? We do. We pass it. This one's just a paltry three and a half trillion. Senator Joe Manchin, he's one of the very few true conservative middle-of-the-road moderate Democrats in the U.S. Senate. He's from West Virginia. It's odd that they would even elect in West Virginia a Democrat to the Senate. The whole state is Republican. But anyway, he's there. He's a former governor. He's a really good guy. And he tries to stay right down the middle and work with and work for both sides because he's got a state full of Republicans. Talking about getting this bill passed, he said, I think it would be very hard to do. He said there's an awful lot to be done. He's talking about getting it done by their deadline. Manchin and a couple of other centrists are also likely to be a bit uneasy about a number of the tax provisions that are included, which may not go far enough from the point of view of liberals in the House and the Senate. Veteran Democrats say the battles are to be expected. That happens all the time. Acknowledging differences are real and often are difficult to move past. We have work to do. This is Dick Durbin from Illinois. We have work to do. It's our chance to square off, see one another eyeball to eyeball, work out our differences. But there are clearly differences. And boy, they're coming up and just grabbing everybody's attention, those differences. 
Let me tell you about our buddy here, our good friend, literally our good friend and our regular contributor to Truth News Network and TNN Lie, Congressman Mike Johnson from the 4th Congressional District here in Louisiana. Let me tell you what he did last week. Now, remember, the House has passed this massive, already massive infrastructure bill. And so buried in it, buried in this bill, is asylum. I mean, literally, asylum and legal status for a ton of illegal aliens. We don't even know how many. The guess is 8 to 10 million of them would immediately, if and when this bill passes and is signed into law, immediately upon the signature of Joe Biden, they become legally here. Doesn't matter about their background, doesn't matter what they have done, criminal or otherwise, they're going to be here legally. And we haven't had Remember this, we haven't had a vetting process for anybody coming here. So in the middle of all of this chaos about legislation, Mike Johnson said, you know, we need to put a stop gap on the criminality of a lot of these people coming in, the ones that we're going to make be here okay, make it okay, be here legally. And he said, so I entered a bill in committee, an amendment, not to a bill. He didn't do a bill, but he entered an amendment to a bill that would require that any illegal immigrant that had a DWI would not be given legal status. Now that sounds benign, doesn't it? They took a vote in the in the committee. Everything, every bill, every amendment has to be uh, voted on in the Senate and in this case, the House of Representatives, either house, and if it passes, then they can move on, or they can move it to the floor of that chamber for debate on the floor and additional amendments. In his committee, every Democrat voted against it, so that amendment didn't fly. So he wasn't done. He wasn't done. He entered. He just changed the verbiage in the amendment a little bit, and it says three DWIs would disqualify and illegal, becoming legal. Every Democrat voted against that amendment. He did another one. Seven. Seven DWIs. If you have been convicted of seven DWIs in the United States, you do not have legal status. They took the vote. Every Democrat voted against it. It didn't pass. And as of yesterday, his last go for it was 10. 10 DWIs. Now put in context all of the fallout that would probably, I know it's possibly, but would probably happen if somebody was drunk and got stopped and convicted of a DWI 10 times. How many other people in just a few of those 10 incidents had been impacted? Committee voted on it. Every Democrat voted against it. There is no amendment to that effect. And they made it very clear. We don't give a rip. We don't care about anything of reality, of security, of safety, of anything having to do with the majority of Americans. We 
want that bill passed. We want the power that comes with it. And we want the money that comes with it. So forget about trying to find the best pieces that could be included in a piece of legislation. The ones we want are already there. And we're going to get them. We've got power. You have no say-so in this. So, Congressman Johnson, go over there and sit down and shut up. Shop at H&M. Be stylish. Be trendy. With women's clothes and accessories at the best quality and the best prices since 1947. Come to H&M and shop for women's clothing and accessories inspired by the latest fashion trends. Here at H&M, the master of cheap fashion, clothes cost the average price of $21.40. Wow, that's so cheap and affordable. I know, right? H&M offers fashion and quality clothing at an affordable price. So, what are you waiting for? Come shop at H&M today. Hashtag hot and modern. Genuine Ford Parts and Service presents a word from your wallet. Are we at the gas station? Yeah, I know. I'm feeling these gas prices, too. I'm the wallet down here. Head to a Ford dealership. Why? Proper vehicle maintenance. A new air filter can save 19 cents a gallon. Correct tire inflation up to 6 cents a gallon. Wow, that sure adds up. Fat wallets are very in right now. Right now, Motorcraft air filter replacement is just $19.95 or less. Replacing a dirty air filter can increase fuel economy by as much as 10%. Well, done. That was easy. Maybe you should listen to your wallet more often. Well, you're typically pretty quiet. Well, I didn't want to be a pain in the... Uh, 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 uh. Hurry in for the best deals we've had in years. Money-saving rebates on brakes, batteries, tires, and more. See your participating Ford dealer today. Are you sure we should be out here? It's pretty cloudy. Come on, that'll pass. Really? I don't know. Yeah, That's just, just swing. I'm holding a... Swing! Bob? Whoa. Looks like someone could have used Yahoo OneSearch on his mobile phone. Try Yahoo OneSearch and get news, sports, even weather. Get better results. Text weather and your zip code to 92466. Be a better golfer. Yahoo! Standard carrier text messaging rates apply. it been since you heard the Beach Boys Wipeout? Man, that's even before my time. That's back in the early 60s. I remember when I heard it, that was a dancing machine. I mean, if you if you could dance to the Beach Boys Wipeout, you were something else. Hey, I don't want to get away from the show today without giving you this one last story. And this, in my opinion, is a sad story. It came to light yesterday. Judicial Watch announced that it received records and communications from the FDA involving research during the Obama administration in which purchased human fetal organs and tissues were used to experiment on humanized mice. 200 pages of records, and Judicial Watch got that through a March 2019 Freedom of Information Act lawsuit. They requested all the contracts and related documentation regarding the disbursement of funds, procedures, communications between the FDA and Biotech ABR, which is Advanced Bioscience Resources, to provide human fetal tissue used 
in humanized mouse research. I can't imagine what that is. Most of the records showed communications and attachments between their procurement manager and veterinary medical researcher, Dr. Christina Howard. Scientists within the FDA and the larger field of humanized mouse research have searched extensively over the past years. They're the only company, ABR, in the U.S. capable of supplying tissues suitable for humanized mouse research. That is a travesty. That is something that was hidden, was undisclosed. Was it legal? It happened, folks. Hindsight's 2020. Looking back, we can always learn things that we don't want to repeat in our foreseeable future. Nobody's perfect, folks. But let me say this. Aborting babies and using and selling their fetal tissue. That is a crime that I don't see ever being justified. That's a wrap, folks. I got a feeling that tonight's gonna be a good night. That tonight's gonna be a good night. That tonight's gonna be a good, good night. A feeling that tonight's gonna be a good night. That tonight's gonna be a good night. That tonight's gonna be a good, good night. A feeling that tonight's gonna be a good night. That tonight's gonna be a good night. That tonight's gonna be a good, good night. A feeling that tonight's gonna be a good night. That tonight's gonna be a good night. That tonight's gonna be a good, good night Tonight's the night, let's live it up I got my money, let's spin it up Go out and smash it, like oh my god Jump out that sofa, let's kick it off
Listen. Move it, move Just it. take it off. Let's paint the town. Paint the town. We'll shut it down. Shut it down. Let's burn the roof. And then we'll do it again. Let's do it. Let's do it. Let's do it. Let's do it. And do it. And do it. Let's live it up. And do it. And do it. And do it. Do it. Do it. Let's do it. Let's do it. Let's do it. Do it. Do it. Do it. Here we come. Here we go. We gotta rock. Easy come. Easy go. Now we on top. Feel the shot. Body rock. Rockin' don't stop. Gonna be a good night That tonight's gonna be